0: Welcome to Roll, a podcast looking at defining roles. Each episode, we ask our guests the same five questions as a starting point to help us understand how roles have helped shape who they are today. We're your hosts, Monica Fernandez Tranco and Louis Dalton Gilbert. Thank you for listening. For more information, please visit our website on roll.studio. This week on Roll, we're delighted to speak with Zaidi Cha, a multidisciplinary artist whose work explores notions of authenticity and identity, as well as her experience within the Asian diaspora. While we try not to impose too much on our guests before they get a chance to speak, we're obviously super excited to have you agree to join us today, so thank you for coming. Thank you very much for inviting me. I guess we'll start with the first question, Um, and that is, what roles do you think define you?
1: I I was actually looking at this question before I came and I was thinking a lot about it because I feel like there are certain roles that define me because of Kind of the structural system that we live in. So I think, for me being a Korean Canadian woman, when I was younger, that's what I was. I was like the Asian girl, Chinese girl, girl, girl yeah. with a single parent, girl that's from this area. So I I actually have a a hard time thinking about what roles define me because I feel like when that question is you think like what are the roles that other people have set onto you and how they define you through the lens of other people so I mean I guess the more interesting question for me is how do I think of myself and maybe the roles I might occupy in my own head and I think for me even though I just kind of preface this whole thing about other people looking at me as an Asian woman I'm very much kind of take on that and embrace it because I think for many years as a kid I was quite resistant to that because I came from an immigrant family and I really wanted to be assimilated within mainstream culture, which for me in North America was white culture. I grew up in the suburbs as a teenager. And prior to that, I grew up in the inner city with kind of um, other immigrant families, you know, largely Asian, indigenous folks, and then, you know, some white people too from Europe. But I I take on that role now because I, I see it as something that I'm really proud of, like genuinely really proud to be a person of color. But also, I think it's quite a reactionary thing for me. So on some levels, I'm embarrassed about it because I think I'm embarrassed about the fact that I need to kind of take this on in my adult life where I wasn't able to kind of really accept it and be like, yes, I'm like Asian and that's something I'm really proud of. Where before it was like, I'm Asian, but I'm Canadian too. Whereas now I'm like, I'm very much Korean. I actually had a friend of mine who's a curator once say to me, uh, I think your bio is interesting because you preface it with, oh, this person is a Korean-Canadian artist. Why do you do that? Why don't you just say you're Canadian? And actually, for me, it's like it's really important that people understand that I'm Korean or I'm Asian. Like That's the most important thing. So I would say uh, the role that defines me is I'm an Asian woman. And another thing I would say is I'm someone who... who's really trying to be open and learn about things. So I'm not I'm not sure if that's kind of a role, but that's a role that I like to take for myself. So um, when I was younger, I think I was much more maybe kind of like outspoken and quite um, confident in all my thoughts. And now I take on the role of the learner. So although I've been thinking about issues of kind of post-colonialism or my identity or race relations and you know more recently kind of like ideas of gender I definitely always come from a perspective of not knowing anything because actually that's the way I feel like I learn the most. So I would say I'm an Asian-Canadian woman who is a learner.
0: And do you think when you, when you said um, being embarrassed, does that have anything to do with the fact that you're embarrassed at the fact that previously you didn't take that on? Um, because that's something we've, listen and I have talked about a lot about this whole like, realizing in your late 20s that you're actually a black person um or or could you talk about more about that sense of embarrassment well I think like
1: you know if you grow up in a white dominated society and you're a person of color um whether you're you know like generations back in that place or you're an immigrant or you're a first person of that whatever country you're made very aware that you're like not white so you're made very aware that you're black or you're Asian or you're this or that, regardless of how you feel or regardless of how you self-identify, you know, you might identify as a black woman or you might identify as a biracial person. So for me, I always knew that I was Asian, but it was something I didn't kind of like proclaim to the world, which that's the reason why I feel embarrassed is because I think it's this kind of like insecurity that a lot of people in the diaspora feel. Whereas like I have friends that are Asian that they don't have these like gripes about being Asian. They're like very comfortable in that. And so they don't need to harp on it. It's just who they are. Whereas like for me, that's a big part of my practice and who I am as a person and kind of the mentality I go forward thinking about how am I able to somehow decolonize my mind and my, my perspectives and the way I approach things. Cause although I, feel like outwardly I try very hard to be kind of like politically just or kind of like say the right, you know, in quotes, left leaning things and think that way. I oftentimes do have to um, think about the initial reactions I might have to stuff because of the way I was educated institutionally.
2: It's so interesting, we were talking about this the other day, because we were talking about Hannah Black's response to Donna Schutz's work. Right. And how... I was almost silenced by the response to it, because I didn't know what standpoint to have on it. Because for so long, I'd fought a certain way. Because, and interestingly, like you said, and how you approached the question, the roles that had been forced upon you... Where you put yourself in the world and how you see the world through different eyes Mm -hmm. you know there's and i think i've said it before in this podcast i think there was definitely a a point in my life where there was a realization of who i am as a person and feeling a sense of pride about that and owning it a lot more at a later stage stage than other people like you say other friends who are asian and um apologetic about it or it's just second Mm -hmm. nature to them Mm -hmm. whereas it feels like a not conscious decision but it's something that you think about a lot more and I think I think I think it's 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 really hard to navigate the way your mind works and to kind of cancel those things out when situations arise and I think it's really interesting the way you approach that question because I think a lot of people don't think about how Other people are seeing them.
1: Well, I mean, you know, this is just my opinion, but I think if you're someone who fits within the kind of margins of neutrality, so if you were kind of like a cisgendered, heterosexual, white person, white man especially, those kinds of things aren't aimed at you, so you don't necessarily have a chance to think about it. And so, you know, some people might think that's an unfair statement to make, but. Those are not things that you need to constantly be thinking about. You know, for me, I'll give an example. As an artist, I'm constantly grappling with, why does this person want to show my work? Am I, like, the token person of color? And, like, I'm, like, on the spectrum, I'm the safer one to show because I'm not super radical queer and black or brown, for example. You know, I'm this kind of, like, femme-presenting, heterosexual, cisgender, attractive kind of type Asian girl. You know, those are things that I don't think other friends of mine are thinking about. I'm constantly paranoid, like, what the hell, How it, how is my work being contextualized? Or then also thinking about the moral kind of ethics involved with showing in certain places and how that affects who I am as a person and how I think politically. So those are the gripes that I think people of color have. Or when you do kind of constantly think about who you are and the space you move in and how you're navigating through that and how people see you, because ultimately the way people see you and the way you, it, it affects how you move,
0: right, through space. Yeah, totally. I mean, it's it's that constant, the difference between just waking up and, like, you know, this is really basic things. Like, I've, I've realized this recently because I was going through job interviews between the two jobs that I've had and, like, how do you, when you walk into a very white institution and they don't expect you, especially when you don't have a very, you know, Lewis Dalton Gilbert or my name, Monica Fernandez, We you know, you wouldn't, it wouldn't be surprising if you were a white person or if oh, I yeah. was a white person. So, like, the shock of, like, some big institutions where, and that doesn't mean that, you know, they're inherently racist, but, like, how do you present yourself to be able to fit a certain mold and every day, um, and, I mean, uh, that sense of what we were talking about, if, if you're a person of color, the kind of shape-shifting kind of identities, but those are, those are real things, yeah. right? Like, when you're a person of color, how you, you do, you do adopt different clothes and different personas. Sometimes you feel that pressure to kind of fit into mold. So I think that that's, yeah, definitely something that's, that's very real and we can both identify with.
1: I mean, I think it's really interesting that you touched on, um, because this is like a really, this is a real thing for folks of color and, you know, depending where you're from in the world. So what your name looks like, on a CV or a resume, mm-hmm. when you're trying to apply for a job, or applying for whatever university education or what have you. So there was a recent study in Canada, actually where I'm from, that if you have an Asian-sounding name, so I'm assuming this is East Asian-sounding name, you're often more often than not uh, going to be called for the interview, which I never thought about because I've also held so many privileges because of my accent, how I speak, my education, and where I'm from because, okay, I might physically look Asian, but I know the social modes in which I need to navigate in order to be successful within an Anglo-Saxon society. So when I read that, it actually made me really upset because I thought about my mom, who I think about like 10 years ago was applying for new jobs and she was trying to get a job um, uh, with the government. and uh, she it, it does accounting or whatever. And I thought, in this time, thinking back on it, that's probably why she didn't get interviews, because her na- name is so um, Asian-sounding, whereas mine is Sadie, but my mom's name is Im Suk-cha, so that just already signifies someone that's completely foreign, right? And then on top of that, although my mom's lived in Canada for like 35 years, she still has a Korean accent. She speaks fluent English, She you know, that's what she does. She's worked in English-speaking companies for the past 30 years, but I just, I just think about those things a lot. So actually, like, for me, I, um, I kind of really delight in the fact that my name really throws people off, too. Like, I changed my name about 10 years ago when I got married, So my last name was spelled C-H-A, and I changed it to X-A because my husband is Spanish, and when you pronounce X-A in Spanish, it sounds like cha, so it's very similar. But actually, a friend said it to me a long time ago. I hadn't even been aware of it, but she said to me, oh, it looks like you tried to kind of, like, orientalize your name. And I think what she meant by that was saying, your name looks even further away from what, uh, like uh, some kind of Western canon for a, a name that was kind of fits within the idea of, let's say, Europeanness or something, or is like a Smith or a Jones or something. Like it just, it, it, especially with the ZD and the XA, mm. it's like you're using kind of letters in the alphabet that are are not often used within kind of like you know, the English alphabet or English word. So for me, it was, I think, like a uh, subconscious but now very conscious thing where I'm trying to emphasize the fact that like, yeah, like I'm not white. I am a person of color and I feel like it's really important for me to be very bombastic about that because when I was younger, although I knew it and I don't think I was necessarily embarrassed about it um, in my own personal space, but I definitely was meant to feel uncomfortable with the fact that I wasn't white when I was younger. You know, even when you're listening to like hip hop and stuff like, you know, people are interested in like music by folks of color, but it's still like the thing is that you're white and then you have a nuclear family and all this kind of a thing. And there's certain roles in which people need to fulfill you when you're living in the suburbs or something in North America. I would just want to say one last thing. Um, The whole idea of folks of color Having to have this kind of like double idea of who they are internally and then how people perceive them on the outside is just the same thing. It's the, What I'm talking about is the idea of double consciousness, right? So it's the whole thing that black folks need to think about. We, you know, you guys, you, as people, people know who they are. But, you know, I'm thinking specifically about America Right. I mean, now as well, but I'm thinking specifically about a certain time in America where people, you know, black folks needed to think about how they are being perceived and how they needed to move about in space because of, um, you know, white hegemony and how they're being looked at and patrol and police and needing to navigate in order to kind of like whatever, work a job or get place to place it's Like that you have two kind of like you have a double spectrum of like what you're thinking about who you are mm-hmm. or, you know, if you're. I'm not saying if you're white that this doesn't happen to you, but my assumption, you know, is that these are not things that weigh on your mind so heavily.
2: The next question on the list is, what do you feel your most important role has been so far and why?
1: Mm. I think three things. And I think that these are more personal. I think my most important role... I guess they're tied somehow. I think my most important role so far in my life maybe has been um, being a partner in a relationship and then being um, a, a daughter to my mom and then being a caretaker to my dog. So what I, what I mean by that is I think that as I've gotten older and I've become hopefully less self-centered and I'm trying to think more about other people, I think that that empathy that I have through wanting to be a supportive friend or partner to my family or to, you know, whatever, my pet or my friends is the most important thing because through that actually is kind of the way I've really been able to, I feel, develop as a person. And so for me, that's the most important role on a personal level. I think a role that I would like to take on and that I feel is really important for me on a personal level is becoming a successful artist. And it's not actually for egocentric reasons. It's because when I was younger, I so desperately wanted to see people of color or people that looked like me in roles um, that were kind of like presented as powerful or important in the media. So when I was younger, I really wanted to be an actor. I was really into like theater and stuff, which is hilarious because I'm not like a you know, like a jazz hand theater person now. But when I was younger, I was really into that. And at a really early age, I told my mom I wanted to get headshots, you know, for your portfolio or whatever. And she said no, because she's like, this is ridiculous. You're like 11. Like, you know, just like chill and go outside and like play hopscotch. But I really, really want to do it. And she's like, well, if you want to do it, you need to figure out a way to do it. So I I did. I, I got a job when I was like 12. This is probably super illegal. But I was like, I had to wear a mascot of a gigantic bagel. And I handed out flyers. And I did that for a weekend. And I made like, I think $250, which is how much it costs to get headshots done. I got this done, blah, blah, blah. I went to like one audition. And I learned very quickly at like, you're 12 years old. Like, they don't want you. Like, they're not, they're not looking for you. Like, they're looking for, like, Sandy and Sally with blonde hair and two braids and, like, freckles. And maybe she has braces, but that's it. You know, like, they're not looking for you. Like, you need to go home. You need to go home, Lee. Like, that's what it's like. It's like, you need to go home. So then that kind of really cemented in me as a child. Like, who thinks about that as a child? Well, actually, you know what? A lot of kids do. Lots of kids that are like queer or, you know, folks of color. This is what we think about. You know, it's that whole thing. It's like what I think James Baldwin said it. When I go out in the movie theater, it's like I wait to see me. I'm like, that's what I'm waiting for to be presented on screen. That's like a really horribly butchered kind of iteration of that quote. But it's beautiful because it really kind of I feel like encapsulates my sentiments as a child and the reasons why I'm so ambitious about being vocal as an Asian artist because it's important to me. And I think especially for me, like uh, throwing in a class perspective, like I grew up with a single mom. And so even though class and wealth throughout my family is quite varied, my experience was I grew up in a single parent household and money was tight. So for me, that's that's a really important thing. You know, someone who comes from like somewhat of a working class family, single parent, Asian child and immigrant become successful and is very vocal and verbal about the work that I do. So I'm not up here painting flowers being like I paint flowers and I happen to be Asian. I'm like no, my work is about this. I'm kind of I'm exploring kind of my position in the Asian diaspora because that's also kind of sometimes confusing and a whole kind of a maze that I'm trying to deal with, but I'm doing it in hopes that this is exciting or some kind of inspiration for young people. That sounds really cheesy, but that's actually like the genuine reason why I do it. And this is why I get so excited about friends of mine who are black or brown, who are successful as well, because I look up to them. Because I know it's so important. So for me, they might even be younger than me, but I like geek out and I'm like, I'm 10 still. I'm so stoked because XYZ friend who's fucking black is fucking killing it right now. And that's more exciting to me than seeing, you know, other friends of mine who are kind of like predetermined for success. It's like, that's cool. I admire you. You're amazing. You're dope. You're intelligent. But in the end, it's like, that's kind of a predetermined thing. Like... For you in some way, the odds
0: were stacked in a certain way, definitely. Or
1: maybe it's like a visual thing too. Like visually, like I'm used to seeing certain people succeed. We Mm. are. Like we're used to seeing that. It's like, it's infuriating to me as a 33-year-old adult to go down in whatever tube station and see like fucking, you know poster after poster after poster of movies and they're just everyone's white I'm like this isn't crazy this is crazy and that's just the way it's always been you know but for me these are things that really enrage me now because as a child I feel like I was denied so much of kind of the representation of like people that look like me or other folks of color so to me that's like that is the role that I really want to take on and that's why I'm so fervent in kind of being outspoken I don't think that everybody who is, you know, in quotes, a minority needs to kind of, like, plaster that on who they are. I think that's also annoying. I think that's unnecessary pressure. But given the kind of climate that we live in today, you know, that's a thing that's going to happen. So you need to deal with it. Yeah. And you can choose to be proactive about it and speak about it, or you can't. Like, you don't have to. Like, I even think just the visual marker of that is important. So, like, for me, to see someone like Anthony Hamilton as one of the Turner Prize nominees, who I wish she had won, That's exciting to me, regardless of what her work is about and if it deals with her kind of racial identity, which it doesn't, but I think she's a really amazing artist. And just for me, thinking about being a younger person, if I was a younger person, if I was a British younger person and I was black and I saw this amazing black woman artist, being nominated for this amazing prize with three other white folks, like, at least you're like, well, goddamn, there's not just four white people there. That's and who exciting.
0: wasn't doing work on, I'm a black person, and, like, doing work that you wouldn't necessarily know has anything to do.
1: Right. And so I'm saying, thing. like, you know, that's not my stance. I'm very yeah. much fervent about being, like, you know, I'm going to, I make conscious decisions about using, like, people that look like me in my work. Mm-hmm. I mean... And if I don't, it will definitely be other folks of colour. That's a decision I make. But I'm just saying the visual representation of her going up and being nominated for a prize and we know what she looks like, Mm. that to me is dope. Like, that's just me, though.
2: But That's a huge part of why we started this podcast. And it's not cheesy at all. It's not cheesy. It's not cheesy at (laughs) all. It's part of the reason we started it. And, you know, part of the reason why a lot of the participants and the people that we've asked have been, from minorities like it's you know we've created this platform and we're choosing who speaks and you know even though it's 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 definitely been a conscious decision but also it's what we're most interested in because it's not we we were laughing at it as children as well we didn't have we didn't have you know artists that looked like us or anyone that looked like us saying these things or doing anything so when we decided to start this, we were like, we want to hear from these people. And I think, yeah, I don't think it's cheesy at all. I think, it's, I think it's just, you know, everyone's kind of got to a point in society where they're not willing to accept things the way that they are anymore. And like you say, being outspoken and saying, and being proud about what, who you are and what you want, there's, there's no problem with that. I think it's, it's, you know. I
0: think everyone should do more of that. I think it's important. I think that you should... I mean, I think I'm someone who always looks back to younger generation. But you have to look into the people and be like, how can you kind of keep raising the bar? The only way you can do that is by taking action yourself. And again, it doesn't mean that you have to, you know, fly the flag and be like, I'm taking a stand. You can do it in different ways. Mm-hmm. But as long as you set a standard for yourself that you abide to, I think right. that that's the only way to change perceptions. Um, um, so... I wonder based on the conversation we were having earlier, but um, the third question is, who were your role models growing up and who are they now and when did that shift happen happen if it happened?
1: So when I was growing up, because there was a complete lack of kind of representation of Asian folks on television, because that's how a lot of kids kind of consume culture, through TV or music. So for me, the other alternative to kind of, you know, something a face that I could never inhabit which is you know like whatever amazing beautiful white face was on TV or in magazines or kind of singing on television or on the radio and you know so I, I gravitated towards African-American culture because that is kind of the other option that's given I feel like that's in quotes in indigenous and I said that in quotes to North American culture so I think for a lot of kids growing up in North America if you are the child of immigrants you may very well gravitate towards hip-hop culture and African-American pop culture because it's kind of presented to you as opposite of what is the mainstream, which is white. So for me growing up, I think one of my biggest role models when I was a child was Nia Long. So uh, Nia Long is a... Yeah, she's an amazing... actress in the states or actor in the states and i first saw her in the fresh prince of Air because she was whatever she's will smith's girlfriend yeah. but i really really admired her i don't i haven't i don't know why i mean obviously you know i was like 11 so i probably thought it's because she's beautiful she's yeah she's beautiful and she's like the cool girlfriend of will smith this show that i loved so much and i really kind of grew up on um So I went to Korea when I was 11 years old. (laughs) This is such a weird story, but because I adored her so much, I went to like, my auntie took me to like whatever, obviously a Korean like hair salon. And I showed them pictures of Nia Long and I'm like, I want this hair. And she had like really short cropped hair. I obviously have, like, completely different hair texture to her, like, and so it didn't lie cute the way it did with hers. (laughs) It didn't look good. But, you know, I have photos, too, to prove it. But she was, like, a really big role model to me, and I think this boils down to what I just said previously. When you're a child, you watch things, and you're waiting to see a reflection of yourself, because that's where so much affirmation of who you are as a person comes from, right? So if you're someone from, you know, European ancestry, let's put it that way, you're growing up in Canada, you're watching TV, you don't have these insecurities. You have other insecurities about body perception, perhaps as a kid or a whole host of other things, or maybe class. I get that, you know, I'm not, I'm not denying that, but I'm saying, like, you you kind of, like, you feel pretty cemented, you, you feel good that, like, what you look like is not crazy, Whereas, like, if you're me and you're a kid, you're like, my eyes are slanted. They're not big like other people's. I don't have, like, a nose bridge. Like, my face is wide. All this stuff. And it's compounded by, like, you know, really actually quite aggressive racial epithets. It's not only being called a chink your whole life. It's kind of things where boys are like, you have a flat face or... I'm going to call you pie face or other things like this that, you know, like a lot of a lot of kids of color have to deal with. Like, I'm sorry, folks, like you all at home and thinking you're like, why well, this is uncomfortable. It's like this is what we have to deal with. So what I'm saying is that because of that, any person that kind of was the opposite of the white canon, but who I kind of thought was, you know, amazing and not white was someone I gravitated to. So actually, Neil Long is like the first person I can think that I genuinely like modeled myself after. I like tried to dress like her um, you you know, cut my hair like her, I was like 11. Like, you know, who does this? Like, you know, like (laughs) slow your roll, like chill. But also, you know, someone else I was really into, again, super young, I was really into Aaliyah. So I think when Aaliyah came out, she was like 15. I must've been like 10 or 11 I wore like I wore like the beige lipstick with the black outliner backwards hat plaid stuff cuz I had older cousins that were like 16 so that was age appropriate for them but I wore like Tommy Hilfiger like I yeah like I I I really kind of I think as a child it, um modeled myself after kind of like African American women that I saw on television because this was an outlet obviously thinking about it now as an adult, if I were to do it now, there's, that's like, there's a whole host of kind of like <clears throat> problematics and appropriation and a whole ho- other host of things. But I'm saying as a child, that was really real for me because it was an outlet. Obviously, I'm not conscious of this as a kid. It's just what I was into, mm-hmm.
2: you know. Do you feel, because you, you speak a lot about, you know, being a person of colour and, you know, your interest in African-American, um Like culture, do you feel as an as an Asian um, supported by other areas of the POC like movement?
1: I mean, you know, like one hundred percent. I would say sadly, not so much from other Asian folks, to be honest with you. And I think that has. To do with a whole host of things that can do with economic class, that can do with kind of the financial growth that's happened exponentially in the past like 10 years. That also has to do with the fact that I don't live in Vancouver anymore. So the folks that I would feel that are ideologically aligned with the way I think, they're there because they have a very similar background as me. Whereas a lot of Asian people I encounter now, let's say in London or in Europe, are from super privileged positions. They're super wealthy. They come here with tons of cash. They're highly educated, and they come from hegemo- sorry uh, homogenous countries. So through that apex, they kind of are sitting on top of the same kind of you know ideas of supremacy that you know I had to kind of push against or have to kind of try to resist under in North America. But for me, like. Just in terms of not just friendship, that's like that's the base. But in terms of even my professional career, I will say 100% full stop. You know, this interview included. It's been black folks that have been supporting me so much and giving me so many opportunities. Like I can't even stress that enough. So much stuff, like you know, whether it's like helping me out. You know, whatever. This is just like the small podcast. It's fine, but. There was a bursary that the studio complex that I'm part of was giving out. And one of my peers was on the jury. I didn't tell him I was applying because I didn't want to put any kind of pressure on him because, you know, that doesn't always, you know, I'm not expecting anything in a jury. There's a panel and it's not one person's decision. But that was the kind of most recent thing where, like, I was awarded this bursary to not have to pay the full amount of rent that I was due. And, like, you know, this is a black colleague that helped me out. Is other black curators, you know, that have given me big opportunities that I otherwise wouldn't have had, had had they not given me the support. You know, other black colleagues of mine who constantly talk in favor about my work because they believe in it and perhaps it comes from a similar perspective or place. But absolutely, like, queer, black, and fucking like, like, feminist women. Those are the people that have really given me the opportunities. And I really think it's because that whole idea, when you're a person of color, that that sense of community and sharing and support and intersectionality is huge. It's, it's huge, right? And I mean, that's a really clear reflection of what I understand um, had happened in the States with the Trump election. Mm. So you have all these white women who are voting against their own interests because they're not really willing to kind of like support the collapse of power that's been in place for so long that works against them so they would rather support white supremacy than go online with kind of even basic 101 white feminism like you know yeah so that's just
2: yeah
1: that's just a rant of mine but just going back to me as a kid i had this conversation with a friend of mine recently about you know being so enlightened by American black culture, I really hold that dear to my heart because it kind of, like, hip-hop was the kind of linking bridge for me as a child to understand the civil rights movement and provide me with language that I didn't yet have to speak about racial equality and justice and even, you know, ideas of equal pay distribution and kind of the link bridge into my understanding of queer theory and feminism, it's been a huge part of who I am. So I'm completely indebted to African-American pop culture because of that. And so I get really defensive and aggressive when people try to come at it sideways or try to use it as a kind of like tokenistic gesture to talk about my work. I get furious about it because it's real to me. Like it's not, it's just, to me, it's just like, yeah, listen to that. Method Man is someone who was important to me as a kid, not because I'm like trying to be cool and sound edgy because I like this fucking black guy who raps. It's like, no, it's just like, this is something else to me. So I get really hostile about it. And also for me, I get hostile about it because I feel like so many other non-black people of color have benefited so much off the struggle of black people and um, don't kind of show their gratitude or support. And that makes me really angry. Yeah so I mean even now like thinking about who my role models are I think that I don't think of specific people so much I mean like a really superficial I mean not superficial I shouldn't say that but kind of a, an obvious one if people know me is Beyonce is like my idol and I say that like with a grin but I, I really mean it because I think that she is kind of the upper echelon of someone who works hard so it's not because she's so beautiful and so talented actually she's fucking grinding all the time and because i come from like this you know kind of working class single parent household family of immigrants i know what that grind is about and that's actually what really motivates me so for me when i think about people that i really admire it could even be people i don't know it might be like the lady on the street corner, like, hustling, and she's, like, running to her job to be a cashier at a fucking grocery store, but she's doing that to pay the bills, and maybe she has a creative hustle on the side, but she needs to do that to get shit done. Those are people I admire. You know, it's, like, that's what really matters to me. It's not necessarily kind of, like, celebrities. You know, there's people that I would, but it always comes back down to that, like, hustle. Like, right now, someone I'm really interested in is I'm kind of interested in Remy Ma right now because I've always really liked her but just listening to her talk and having gone to jail for whatever eight years and coming back and working really hard and building something up from the ground when you could have been broken those things are important to me so I was saying this earlier like A role model is kind of a hard thing to think about because I I have so many people I deeply, deeply admire. Like all of my friends, I deeply admire them and I deeply respect so much what they think and what they say and I I learn a lot from them. So it's really hard because I have a hard kind of time distinguishing who are role models of mine because I would put my friends in that camp for sure. But if I think of specific people, it becomes really hard. And I think ultimately it's just kind of like I think about people that are like my mom So I think about kind of working-class immigrant folks. That's who I think about. Yeah. You know, that's kind of, like, the thing that, like, ignites me and makes me able to, like, work really hard.
0: But that goes back to the idea of representation, right? There are people that you wanted to to be able to see and those are the people that Mm -hmm. you kind of go back to. And I think that's something that has come up in a lot of the conversations and certainly in the conversations that Lewis and I have is that you kind of, yes, you can aspire to these great things but ultimately you need to be able to see yourself in that or there needs to be a point of reference. And um, to me it makes sense to kind of Mm -hmm. go back to that. Um, And I think that you've answered the next question actually uh in the in the last few questions but maybe you you might be able to elaborate a bit more um what effect do you think your role models have had on your life um but if you feel like you've answered that oh yeah i
1: mean <laughs> i guess i can just think of specifics again it would just come down to like working really hard yeah and i think that's another reason why i'm so i i was as a child without realizing it so kind of um really, like, obsessed with hip-hop because that's what it's about, like, you know, it's, like, the grind. <laughs> Whatever you're trying mm-hmm. to get at is, like, you hustle, like... There's no, I mean, really, I can't really think of a rap song where it's, like, dope to be lazy. Like, yo, I'm just lazy. Like, I don't do anything. I'm not I'm not here, like, trying to get anything, whatever it's, like, you know, fiscal remunera- remuneration. It's, like, no one's talking about being lazy. It's, like, because in the end, it's a working class art form, right? It's, like, the people are, like, working really hard to get somewhere, whether it's, like, you're trying to get knowledge because you're trying to be more educated and, like, be more, like, conscious or whatever, or you're trying to, like, get more money in order to kind of support yourself or your family or whatever you know obviously what i'm saying there's like you know you can think about capitalism and like all the problems that go in with that but i'm just saying i think in the end for me people that i admire are working class folks all colors included you know i used to i remember working in this place and there was a middle-aged like white lady i think she was irish she was dope, again, same thing. It's like, I, I admired her because she was like, they're working super hard. Like, you know, someone said to me once like, oh, but doesn't that job like kind of suck talking to someone? I was like, I was like, dude, do you really think this person like likes doing that? No, but they fucking work hard. They're not entitled. They want to do this other stuff. They want to work in the studio. And this, that shitty ass job in, enables them to do that. Were they able to focus? Like that's fucking cool. I'm not into these bougie ass people that don't do shit that's boring you know that's not exciting to me it's like I'm excited but you know I do understand that in some ways that's kind of that whole like American model like that like American dream myth of like working really hard and it's also coming from an immigrant family it's like you just need to grind you need to work really hard in order to achieve your goals whether that's like studying or opening up a business and working like fucking 15 hours a day seven days a week because that's what my family did when they went to canada you know and some of them became really successful from it but it's like yeah because they worked 15 hours a day seven days a week you know so that's really affected me who i am today because i don't i don't know how to be still i think that's problematic also for my health (laughs) but i i really like i if there's times when i feel tired or i feel kind of like i can't do it anymore or even if I have, like, a kind of attitude where I feel a bit lazy or I'm kind of like, I don't want to do this. I I just snap myself out of it. And I just think about, like, how hard other people have had to work in my family or people that are around me or people that I grew up in my neighborhood. And I'm like, I, I like, scratch that. Like, I snap out of that really quick.
0: And that has, has that always been the way or is that recently with your artist no
1: this has always been yeah. a way for me because yeah. uh, like i said like 11 years old wearing a bagel costume Yeah, of course you, you, know? <laughs> like,
0: Which is you know like just like such an amazing image <laughs> I, I
1: know i you know i think of it now too i'm 33 a. i'm like what the hell like i that's such an audacious thing to think like i want to be an actor and i'm gonna like get my headshot so i'm you know i'm gonna be this thespian so i'm gonna like be a bagel for a weekend and get money and get paid and get get this thing done like That's crazy. Like, I don't feel like I have the kind of like the guile or confidence to kind of do something like that now, you know. But that definitely has been throughout my whole life. But that's just seeing people around me kind of really working hard and hustling to get what they want. So there's no way I can kind of be like lazy. There's too much guilt associated with that, I think. Mm -hmm. Which also, you know, I think there's problematics with that as well because, you know, I have to remind myself too, like, I'm not the kind of labor I produce you know that's also a thing but it's just where I come from so it's kind of the way my mentality works so I actually have no patience for people that are slower <laughs> or not willing to kind of catch up and then you know if I'm not able to catch up to the speed of people that I see and I admire you know someone like my friend Legacy Russell you also know she often makes me feel really bad because I'm like, oh my God, this person, like, I think I'm working hard. This person is, like, working triple times and getting so much more done and so focused. So, I mean, you know, she's someone I definitely would look up to as well, even though she's younger than me, you know, like... She's a she's a machine. Yeah, but, like, working really hard. I mean, I know it's not always the best thing and it is really important to step back and chill out and take care of yourself. But at this point, I don't know how to do that. I'm trying to
2: learn, actually, but... So... To (laughs) summarize, do you think role models are important?
1: I do. Of course I do. I don't even think that question needs to be asked, (laughs) because because you guys know it's true too. It's incredibly important, and that's why, you know, there's just even really simplistic things. Like, I'm not even American, and I cried a lot when Donald Trump won, because I just, you know, just said a very minute thing, flashback to when I was a kid, and people thinking it's appropriate to call other people like whatever racial epithets but then at this time when things are so kind of (sighs) compounded with so much fear and anxiety I just really thought about a lot of kind of like Latin American looking type kids brown kids you know black people have always had a really hard time in the states but when you have someone who's there saying like you know, whatever, we don't have to go into the vitriol because we all know it. I just thought right away, I thought that is so damaging because it gives children the idea that you can feel empowered to do and behave in certain ways, which I always just think like, so much damage. Like I, I'm 33 and I was dealing with so much of this racial baggage as a child. So I'm like, wow, there's other kids now that are like children that are like five because I've, you know, I've, paid attention to things and I, you know, listen to testimonials of people that have kids or teachers or whoever. And that really, it's not that it's disappointing, actually. I actually find it terrifying because I'm like, oh, so it's just cyclical. Like, there's no progression.
0: Like well, do, Or it's just, it's there is a bit, it's like one step forward, 16 steps back. And yeah. that
1: kind of... So, you know, of course I do think role models are important. And, you know, a lot of people ragged on Beyonce when she was, like, trying to talk about feminism because it's, like, you know, in quotes, basic or whatever. But for me, I was like, no, I don't, I'm sorry, I don't agree with that. If you're, like, 37 and Beyonce's introducing to feminism, well, you know, that's kind of, sh- like... So th- I mean, a little bit, but you know, uh, you know, well, there's a time, first time for everything, but I really thought like, if I was again, like 10 years old, 15 years old or whatever, and this amazing, like the, the, the superstar of superstars of superstars comes out and is like, feminism is fucking cool. I'm going to make like songs about it. I just feel like that is a bridge into something else because that's how I learned about so many things that I'm so invested in and, and how I kind of like, uh, view things through a certain lens and it was through hip-hop you know which is marred with issues of misogyny and a whole host of other things if i deconstruct it now but really it was kind of like a language of social justice that helped me link over as a very young person into other discourses of critical thinking so you know for me like it's just like really basic stuff i think it's important I think really as as a young person, but also as like a person that when you're an adult, you just like try to better yourself. And I don't even think role models need to be on the level of like superstardom, you know, like Beyonce or like. I also really love Michael Jackson. There's this whole idea of work ethic and ex- excellence that I'm I'm really drawn to, or Michael Jordan or something. These are kind of very stereotypical folks that people high and hold in really high regard internationally. But I also think that. For me, it's just, like, day-to-day stuff, too. Like, I'm telling you, like, I, I like, admire the fucking bus driver that picks me up. Like, I'm being real when I say that because it's, like, that person is doing you a service and they're being treated like garbage all day and it's tiring. But they're doing it because they're doing it to pay their bills. Like, I think that's admirable, you know? Like, I think it's admirable that friends of mine are so forthright, much more forthright and don't compromise their values For their own personal financial and you know kind of fame game in the art world like those are also things i think are important i just think that it's important to have role models because it really just shapes the kind of person you want to be